theyeshiva.net. This week is Parsha Sav. Parsha Sav opens up with a very, very interesting mitzvah. It's known as the mitzvah of Trumas Hadeshem. Trumas Hadeshem means the separation or the separating of the ashes. Deshen means ashes, ash. Trumas Hadeshem is the separation or the uplifting of the ashes. What did this mitzvah consist of? Every single morning. This was actually the first service performed in the Beis HaMikdash. Sometimes before dawn, before dawn break, a Kayin would go up to the Mizbeach, go up on the ramp, which was the path to the altar, and reach the tap, top of the ramp. He took a shovel in his hand. It's what's called a machta, a shovel. Went to the top of the ramp, came to the altar. Remember, on this Mizbeach is where all the offerings were burnt. Animal offerings, bird offerings, meal offerings, grain offerings. Everything was burnt here. So if it was a busy time, there were lots of coal and ashes on the Mizbeach from all the residue of the carbonas. Even if it was not a busy day, there were always carbonas. So you had ashes, what was left over on the Mizbeach. There was always a fire burning. The wood turned into coal and ash, and you had the offerings themselves, the sacrifices that were burnt. The Kayan took a shovel <coughs> and with the shovel he filled the shovel with ashes from the Mizbeach. He would go to the he would move what was on the surface, he would move to the side and he would go deep inside to get to the bottom of the Mizbeach, the actual roof of the Mizbeach, and from there he would take the ash, the coal, whatever was there, fill up the shovel with it. This is called Truma Sadashan, separating the ash or lifting up the ash. He would take the shovel, he would go down the ramp, he comes down the ramp, he would now, the ramp was on the Durham side of the Mizbeach, on the south side of the Mizbeach. Top of the Mizbech. Where would the ash be? Roof as in top. Top of the Mizbech. But if there was a big pile, he went to the bottom of the pile. That's my point. He didn't take it from the top of the pile. He went to the bottom of the pile from the very surface of the top of the Mizbech. That's what I meant. Or from inside. Inside he would take. Every time he would go up and down with shovel? Every morning. Once? Once? Oh, just once, yeah. One shovel. One shovel full. Up and down. Go up and come down. Now, the Mizbeach, if, uh, say, this is the Mizbeach, if this is the Mizbeach, right? Okay, and this is Mizrach, if this is east, and this is Mayrev, so this is Dorah, this is south, and this is Safan, this is north. If this is the Mizbeach, the ramp was to the Durham side of the Mizbeach, the south side of the Mizbeach. 
go up this way. So that's how you would come down, that's how you would come up. The entrance of the Mizbech, in others, was not from the east, it was not from the west, it was not from the north. It was from the Durham of the Mizbech. So now, the Kayin would come down the ramp on the south of the Mizbech with a shovel. He's holding a shovel filled with hot coal and ashes. Black, dark ash. What does he do with it? So he would turn, come down, he would turn left towards east, okay? Because he came down south towards east, which was actually the way out. And then he would go another left and go back towards the altar. But now he's not on the ramp, he's just going parallel to the ramp. And around 15 feet into the ramp, he would put it down. He would empty the shovel and put it down on the ground, on the ground, near the ramp, facing east, southeast of the Mizbech. The, the, the ground was made of what? Earth or uh, stone or what? Well, it depends. In the Mishkan you have earth. In the Mishkan it's earth. So it's stone. In the Mishkan, it's earth because it was a portable, it was a portable sanctuary, and wherever they put it, it was just earth under. Like when you pitch a tent somewhere when you go camping. In the Beis Hamikdash, it was stone. This was a daily interesting service every morning, Trumas Hadeshen, and it's articulated in the opening psukim of this week's parsha. And not only that, we say it every morning. In the Karbonus that we say before davening, we learn this parsha. We read this parsha from a sadashim. I mean, often people just say it fast and they don't notice what they're saying. But um, you'll hear the psukim. We say it every morning. Karbonus. And the reason we say it every morning is because it was done every morning, just like the other avodas. And the way the Torah describes it is v'lova shakayin michneseva midayvad or michnesevad yilbashal psaday. The Koyan puts on his garments, takes the ashes, which were produced from the fire eating up the sacrifices, which were on the altar, and he places it where? Near the Mizbeach. Clear Pasuk, one Pasuk, defining it as Heirim Hadeshan, where it got its name, Trumas Hadeshan. There's a sefer called Trumas Hadeshen. It's one of the most important early Ashkenazic halachic books called Trumas Hadeshen. The name Trumas Hadeshen he got from this mitzvah. Trumas Hadeshen was written by Rabbi Yisrael Iserlin. Yisrael Iserlin is from the last Rishonim. He lived in the late 1300s and in the early 1400s. He was born in Regensburg in Germany. And he's considered one of the greatest, most important authorities of halacha in the Ashkenazic Jewish communities, Germany. And he wrote a sefer called Trumas Hadeshen. Why Trumas Hadeshen? Because the sefer consists of 354 answers to halacha questions. Now these questions he composed himself. They weren't questions that were... It's, it's as though people asked him the questions, but he wrote it the that way because it's more interesting. So he wrote 354 questions to which he responds with 354 answers. 354 is called... is Deshen. Shin Nundalad is Deshen. So he called the Sefer 
Trumas Hadesha. But it was all about this. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. 354 issues. But the Truma Sadashan is one of the works quoted most frequently in all of the subsequent halachic authorities. And you're dealing with the greatest, the Beis Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Kara, the, the Ramah, the Ramah, by Moshe Isserlish, who compiled all of the halachic. Minhagim of the Ashkenazim and the Shulchan Aruch often quotes the Truma Sadashan. But this name comes from this mitzvah, the Bistral Isserlin. It's interesting. Deshet 354. Fine. So, this is the mitzvah every morning. Now there's another mitzvah. What's the other mitzvah? The next Pasuk. This mitzvah is called Haitsa'a Sadashan. Taking out the ashes. Not from a sadashan, it's The pasuk, it's What's the next pasuk? Ufashat as begadav, he takes off his clothes. Lavash begadav, he puts on new clothes. Puts on other clothes. Lahaitzi a sadashan el mechutzla machana el makom tar. He should remove the ashes from out to out towards, take it out outside the camp to a pure place. This is a different halacha. As Rashi explains, and I'm going to follow Rashi's explanation, two separate mitzvahs. One mitzvah is a daily obligation to take a shovel, go up to the altar, take a shovel of ash and place it near the Mizbeach. Then there's a second mitzvah. Once in a while, the Mizbeach is filled with ash. Your daily shovel, your daily shovel of the ash is good for a day in which there's very few sacrifices. Comes Yom Tif, a lot of people came. Or other times, it's full, the Mizbeach is filled with ashes, a mountain of ashes. One shovel won't do the job. So what do you do then? Then there's a new mitzvah. The mitzvah is... The Kayan comes and takes the ashes as much as he needs to, empties it out, and this is not put near the Mizbeach. This is taken You go out of the Mizbeach, you go out of the Arabayas, you go out of Yerushalayim, and you place it outside in the outskirts of the city. It has to be in a pure place. It shouldn't be in a, in a place of Tumah or a place of repulsion, but it's in a pure place, and it just stays there. And what happens with it? <laughs> it's scattered. It's scattered. If there's a wind, you know what wind does to ashes? It's uh, also one gone with the wind. One shovel full? No, no, not one shovel full. As much as you need. The whole thing, yeah. So how does he do that, though? I mean, he has to pull them down. Maybe he has a car. He took a big Kaylee. He took a big Kaylee. And he filled it up, and he took it. Yeah, he took a big vessel, and he filled it up with the ashes, and he took it on the chutzlah and he puts on different clothes. Rashi says clearly, This is not a daily obligation. Truma sadashan is a chayva b'chalyon. Haitzah sadashan is not a chayva b'chalyon. When it accumulates, when the ash accumulates, Rashi says it becomes a mountain like a tapuach, like a big apple. Looks like a huge apple of ash. Then there's no place. It's simply a technical necessity. There's no place. You need place. You need to put logs. You need to light a fire. You have to put carbonus. 
There's no place. There's no place. So this is what they did. Doesn't it uh, scatter, uh, stand there by itself with the wind and everything? Also? It was under a roof. Oh, it's under a roof there also. <coughs> so we have two mitzvahs. We have the mitzvah of Truma Sadashan, we have the mitzvah of Tzor Sadashan, and we have to understand this, that these are two distinct mitzvahs. Now we come to the question we have to understand, what is the meaning of all of this? I understand. Once in a while you have to do what we call spring cleaning, or what we call Pesach cleaning. You know, people whose desks and rooms become cluttered and disorganized. Once in a while you have to remove what's on the desk, you have to remove what's on the beds, what's on the tables. You have to have a clean home. So we all understand once in a while you have to have Hitzah Sadeshan, there's too many ashes on top of the altar, and you have to take the ashes outside. That we understand. But what is the concept behind Truma Sadeshan? Truma Sadeshan was a daily mitzvah. No matter if there was lots of ashes or very little ashes, every single day the Kayan had to take one shovel of ashes and place it right by the Mizbeach every single day besides Yitzhah Sadashan. Now, why don't you take it every single day out out of the camp? The answer is, you probably don't need to every single day, once in a while. But then what was the point of every single day taking a little bit and putting it near the Mizbeach? And if you're already taking a little bit, take it all. So what's this concept of these two mitzvahs? That once in a while, when there's lots of ashes, you take it out, but every single day, you have to separate one shovel of ashes and put it right near the Mizbeach. Yeah? You want to know what happened to all of the ashes right near the Mizbeach? Okay, so the Gemara discusses it. There's two opinions. One is that it was actually absorbed in the ground miraculously, and one is that it was actually, that was actually also cleaned up once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Now Rashi tells us on the Pasuk, Upashat as that actually the Kayan wore different clothes for both Avaidas. The clothes that you wore for Trumas Adashin, you would not wear for Itzah Sadashin. You wore different clothes. You had to put on different clothes when you went out Machana. Rashi brings the famous metaphor that the clothes that you use to cook a pot for your master should not be the same clothes that you use when you pour him a cup of wine. Because those clothes get dirty with the ashes and therefore you don't use the same clothes. So it's two separate mitzvahs, two separate avoiders, two different types of garments. What is the meaning behind this? And why is it that one of them must happen every single day, Truma Sadashin, and one happens only once in a while, Haitzah Sadashin. So I'm going to share with you Two different approaches. The first one is metaphoric of the internal, emotional, spiritual, psychological life of the Jew. And it comes from a Hasidic discourse by the Alter Rebbe, by the Balatanya. The Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Shnei Zalman of Liadi, has a sefer called Siddur Imdach. The Alter Rebbe, as you probably know, wrote a Nusach of Davening based on the Nusach of the Arizal. He wrote it based on 60 different versions of davening. There are so many different nusachs of davening. You, of course, have Sfarat Ashkenaz, that's famous. But you have Eidus HaMizrach, you have Nusach Teimon, you have the Nusach HaMakobolim, Narshash, Arizal. Many different types of versions of davening. I mean, the basics are the same. But the Alter Rebbe wrote his own Nusach HaTfilah, and it was published in the Siddur, which is today the Siddur Tehillah Hashem, the Chabad Siddur. And 
After his passing, the Mittler Rebbe, his son, published a Siddur. The text of the davening is the one that was composed by the Alter Rebbe. And around it, he has a commentary to almost the entire davening from the Maimorim, from the discourses that he heard from his father and later transcribed and edited. And before davening, we say Karbonus. One of the parshas said in many communities is the parsha of Trumas Hadeshen from Parshas Tzav. Right, and around that parsha, he has a maimer from the Alter Rebbe explaining the concept of Truma Sadeshan and Aitzah Sadeshan from a spiritual, internal, emotional point of view. This is the first perspective that we want to explore today. And the Alter Rebbe says to us, it's a, it's a deep maimer. And that Rebbe explains Truma Sadashan and Itzah Sadashan, what they represent. It's a very deep maimen, although it's pretty well explained there, it's elaborate, relatively speaking. And I'm going to share with you one point of the maimen. There are many, many points there. I'm going to share with you one point. The point I'm going to share with you, which is one one segment of the Maimer of the Alter Rebbe is this. He says, what are ashes? Ashes are the residue of fire. Wherever there's ashes, fire. you know that there was a fire there. There's no fire, no ashes. After the fire is extinguished, and when the fire is burning, you don't have ashes. When the fire is gone, the fire is extinguished, you have ashes. So ashes represent that there was once a fire, but now the fire is extinguished. And hence the ashes are dark, and become cold, and scatter. And in Hebrew it's called afer or deshen. In this case it was ashes together with coal. Gecholim deshen. Now... So there was once a fire, and the ashes is what remains of the fire. Ash, therefore, also in our tradition, have a symbol of mourning. Right? Tish above, by the Siddam of Sekis, we dip the egg in ashes. Why ashes? Ashes represents Khurban. There was a fire. And the fire destroyed. And what's left is ashes. And that's what happened to the Beis HaMikdash. It was destroyed. The Chassam, when he goes out to the Chuppah, puts ashes on his head. Oh yeah? Nowadays? To remember Yerushalayim. Efer, the symbol of destruction, the end. But there used to be a fire. And there's a fire, and the fire is finished, and now there's ashes. But if there was no fire, there could not be any ashes. What does this represent in the void of a person? Karbonus, we know the Gemara says in Masachet Brachas, Tfilois Bemakim Tmidin Tiknum. The prayer substitute the karbanas. We say every morning the pasuk on a shalma parims May our lips substitute for the cows, for the bulls, for the oxen. 
before Yisrael Mekayman, there's a special tefillah, Ribbein HaYilamim, small little wet letters, again, people say it, but not always, you don't always pay attention. What do we say? So The utterance of our lips should be accepted to you as though we offered the carbon tamid in its time. The experience of Avoida, of Avoida Satfila, the Gemara says in Tainus, Avoida Shabalev, Zutfila, Ula Avda Bechalavavchem, Isaiah Avoida Shabalev, this is the substitute to today's day for Avoida Sakarbonus. That Karbonus, there was a fire, my davening, there has to be a fire. There, the fire was a physical fire, a fire on the Mizbech, Eish Tomit. By davening, it's an emotional fire. Fire represents warmth and it represents passion. Fire is hot, a fire is blazing, a fire is exciting, a fire is intense. Passion, emotion. Like every fire, it could be a beautiful fire, it could be a destructive fire. A blazing fire can warm and can destroy, unfortunately. And the same is true in Avaidin, about a person, this passion that enriches life and this passion that destroys life person gets passionate about a fight and they can destroy themselves and others. People get passionate about ridiculous things and sometimes destructive things and they're very passionate about it and they can, their envy can be passionate and their hate can be passionate and their desire for revenge can be passionate and then they don't think about what's good, not even for them, but they think about satisfying the passion. And in life, the big mistake is when you instead of thinking about doing things that are productive for yourself and for others and for your loved ones instead your calculation is how do I ensure that my passion gets fulfilled and if it's my passion for revenge or a passion to um, reciprocate (laughs) or a passion to win or a passion to destroy that becomes the objective, even if it undermines you. So fire, as always, is dangerous. Then there is the positive fire that warms, that ennobles, that brings light, that brings... Ratso, yeah. The yearning, yeah. The pining, the thirst. These are all elements, properties of avoidish abelaves, utvilam davening. Whenever there's fire, there will always be a residue of ashes. What are the ashes? The ashes is that which remains after the flame. And does not go up in the flame. The flame destroys and consumes the object it destroys. And it's consumed, it's gone. The ashes is that which cannot go up in the flame. So the fire produces ashes, but it's that which is left over and did not go up in the flame. So when fire consumes oil, are there ashes? No. It's completely consumed. When fire consumes a wick, are there ashes? No. Yeah. Yes. A little bit, yeah. Even a straw. Yeah, a paper, a newspaper, right? A tissue, of course. And of course, when there's something larger and more dense. Good. You thought that, that you thought that. 
wood, ah? Parshas Tzava, we spoke about logs and oil and, and straw. We spoke about the pomegranates, the Ramban, Rashi, yeah, you remember? Okay, Dveikus, Espilos, yeah, a few weeks ago. Now, what does this represent in Avaida? It represents that when any time a person has a flame, a person has a fire, a person has a passion, they will also discover parts in them that are undesirable. Because they have a fire. Because the light also tells them about the darkness. Because when a person opens themselves up and is inspired by a greater vision or a deeper passion, after that, (coughs) what will emerge is also the darker parts in them that are not capable of going up in the flame. Now those ashes are always there, but they're not necessarily recognizable. After there's a fire, and you're elevated, then you realize what is stopping that elevation, and which part of you cannot be elevated in the flame, which part of you is dark and black, and that's called the ashes. That's the deeper meaning why we say Tachanon after Shmenasra. Because after the person reaches a certain spiritual awareness and consciousness, then there are Shamnu Bagadnus, a different Shamnu Bagadnu, because they realize A, their potential, and they realize what they could be, what they should be, and on the other hand, B, what they are. So here there is regret, there is remorse, there is confession, there's the concept of tshuva. And this is always true in life. The higher you go, the more clarity you have, the more you discover the flaws that undermine your spiritual growth. Because you're not in denial anymore, you're not covering it up anymore. And Al-Turebbe gives a lovely metaphor for this. He says, take silver or gold. You have to refine them from their sediments. The more heat, the more will be exposed even subtle sediments. If you put the silver through a little bit of heat, through the crucible of a little heat, so then some of the basic, more dense sediments will be Removed and the silver will become clean. But we know there are more subtle elements of sediments, of psilus. And the greater the heat you apply to the metal, the more it will expose those elements that are called psilus, sediments. And if you... Huh? The impurities the impurities will be more exposed because the heat is greater. And you put it in greater heat and even greater heat and even greater heat, that's how you refine the silver until you extract the most pure and fine components of the silver. And the same is true in life. Often a person could walk around and not realize the ashes within them, not realize the sediments. Why? Because there's no heat, there's no light, there's no warmth. So they can ignore their flaws, they can live with them. They're just in denial, it's not visible. When you become spiritually aware, when you become spiritually sensitive, then some things that may have not affected you previously affect you today. Give a physical example. 
with a body. Some bodies, you can put anything into them, and the body won't notice. That's not a sign that the body is very healthy. It's often a sign that the body is unhealthy. On the other hand, a body that is very in tune with its natural energy, when it eats something that is unhealthy for it, the body will often respond vehemently and very swiftly. Why? Because it's a trained body. It's a fine body. It's a sensitive body. And it's a body that has become sensitive because it's actually healthy. So it spits out. It rejects. It notices. It notices that which is undermining it. When... uh, We feel pain. The fact that we feel pain when we put our finger on the stove, we feel pain is a blessing. Because the nerves are alive, and therefore they feel the pain, and we know it's dangerous. The worst thing is, if the nerves are dead, then we don't feel pain, and then we destroy it, and we don't even know we destroyed it. So the fact that you don't feel the forces of impurity doesn't mean they're not there. It could mean they're there, and they're very powerful, but the person is unaware. When we apply heat and passion and fire during davening, the Eish HaTfilah, it also exposes the sediments, the impurities. And that's what's represented by Deshen. In fact, HaDeshen is what? Is 359, which is the same gematria like Satan, which represents the negative. And the greater the fire... And the more the carbon, the more the ashes. Again, because you become sensitive even to subtle things that previously you would have ignored, just like in the silver. Some people can live with saying white lies. Their whole life they say white lies. If you ask them, are you an honest person? Sure, I'm very, very honest. But if they become a little bit more spiritually sensitive, then they become disgusted with themselves. Other people can live with conventional lies. They just lie. It's not big lies. You know, small lies, white lies. Why are you late to the appointment? Oh, traffic was was bumper to bumper. That's not true. You left your house late. But everybody does it, right? Why did you come late? Uh, I came late because I wasn't feeling well. I had to go to the doctor. Okay. But people who are more spiritually sensitive, they vomit, they're allergic to it, they can't live with it. You understand? And the more light, the more subtleties you see. And then, and I'm saying even something that's pretty visible, and then there are things that are much more subtle. How does Hadashan, Vahirim as Hadashan. Hadashan is 359. Statistics, American life, regular American, 35 times a day. Who says this? Statistics. People lie 35 times a day? American, yeah. American. A day. And and how how many times do the Russians lie every day? (laughs) Yeah, we can touch that. And how about Israelis? (laughs) Israelis? No. Who made this statistic? The truth is, 35 sounds right. Sounds yeah. right. You call the office, the secretary. He's not here. He's there. Like you say, why are you late? Tell them I'm not home, right? I'm not home. Daddy says he's not home. It's even very bad to teach yourself, not only your children. Your children learn from us. Yeah, what about the lies you tell yourself? Yeah, 
the lies you tell yourself are far, far sometimes more destructive because you don't think they're lies, you're just lying to yourself. But really, they're also lies. Lysignev, the Kotzke said, Gamvenisht von Zichalein. Don't deceive yourself, don't steal your own mind. It's also Lysignev. Okay. So you get the point. The more heat, the greater the carbonus, the greater the light, the greater the residue of ashes. And what are ashes? Those parts of you that didn't go up in the flame. You And you notice them. And that, that's the deshen. And there's always deshen that remains. So on one hand, deshen means that there was a fire. If there was no fire, there wouldn't be ashes. Right? Because they wouldn't be called ashes. They'd be legalized. <laughs> the fact that you call them ashes means it was a fire. On the other hand, this is not part of the fire. And when the fire ends, you see the ashes. Now there's another point here. And that is, as long as the fire is burning, you're involved in the fire. When the moment the fire ends, here is where you see that the fire has come to an end, and what's left of you is ashes, and this is a difficult moment in a person's life. Every person has moments of great inspiration, and then moments the inspiration dies, the fire goes out, and they look in the mirror, and what they see are ashes. And because there was such a great fire, the ashes are greater. It means if you didn't have inspiration, so then the lack of it is not painful. Same point, similar point. When you had inspiration, the lack of it is painful. It's noticeably absent. And you you, uh, crave for the fire, but the fire is not here. Here comes the Torah and says... The Kayan goes up every morning and picks up the ashes. One shovel. And there's a certain tenderness here. Takes it off the Mizbeach. Where does he put it? He puts it right near the Mizbeach. And I told you, according to one opinion, it gets absorbed in the earth. What does this represent? This represents ashes that he actually is a form of embracing. He embraces the ashes. He picks it up. He lifts up the ashes. One shovel every morning. And he doesn't throw it out. He puts it right near the Mizbech. It doesn't belong on the Mizbech, but it belongs on the bottom, right near the Mizbech. You go down the ramp, and you walk in towards the Mizbech, and you put it right there. It's right near the Mizbech. What does this represent? It represents that there's something in these ashes that have to be embraced. What is it? These ashes are what teach a person, first of all, that he or she is human, and most importantly, B, they are what serve as a catalyst for growth, as a springboard for action. They motivate the person and teach him or her the work that's ahead of him. The fact that I identify these flaws, these insecurities, I know that this is what I have to confront, this is what I have to work with. So these ashes embrace the ashes, because instead of seeing them as a pure negative black force, it's blackness that allows you to grow. And then they become a very educational experience. So therefore they're not on the Mizbech, that's true, because they represent a negative force, but their place is right near the Mizbech, and they get absorbed in the Beis HaMikdash. In other words, they become absorbed in holiness, 
And the reason they become absorbed in holiness is because they are used as a catalyst for holiness. But then there is another type of ashes. What's this type of ashes? Depression. Ashes. You see, there are two messages. There are two messages after the fire is extinguished. One message is, I have to fix this. I'm motivated to fix this. I see this is something I got to deal with. This is something I want to confront. It's one form of ashes. Another form of ashes is, look at me. I'm helpless. I'm nothing. I'm terrible. I'm corrupt. I'm ugly. I'm insalvageable. I'm unredeemable. And if you need to add more adjectives, be your guest. But you get the point. I'm Hadeshan. I'm one big Sutton. That's what I am. Look, look how much blackness, look how much darkness. And even when I had a fire burning, it's gone and it's over and there's nothing left but darkness. And from the fire itself, I realized how bad it is. This Deshen, El Throw it out. Throw it out. It doesn't belong. Not only not in the Mizbeach, not even in the Beis Hamikdash, not even on the Harabayis, not even in Yerushalayim, not even between Machne Yisrael, Vahitzi El Machana, out of the camp. Two types of Deshens. In other words, there are the black, dark ashes that serve as a guide, as a blueprint, as a springboard, as a catalyst, as a motivating factor. And then there are ashes that simply turn you into a melancholy, dejected, despondent, depressed human being. In Tanya, one is called Merirus, the other one is called Atzvus. One tells you to get up earlier and work harder, and the other one tells you it's hopeless, just go to sleep. Everyone has moments of depression and melancholy. But what's the message? Is the message, I gotta work harder, I have to change this, let me do things differently? Or is the message, go to sleep? Meridus tells you work harder, Atzva says go to sleep. You understand the difference? Atzvah says there's nothing to do, so just go to sleep. And the contrary, the more depression, the less you do. If the less you're doing, then it's not healthy deshen. Then it is undesirable deshen. So there's two deshens. One embrace. You think you're perfect, you're not perfect. You want only, you're not oil. <laughs> you're not Shem and that you go up in the flame. You don't go up in the flame. There are things that refuse to go up in the flame. That's your ashes. Embrace it, look at it, study it, put it near the Mizbech. It's not on top of the Mizbech, it's on bottom. It's ashes, it has to be put in its place. Don't confuse it with light. That's also important. But it has a place. It has an important place. It's a guide. It's an educational tool. I read a story. I don't know if it's true, but it's a Gishmaka Maisa. That there was somebody who was working for IBM or another major, major company, very uh, from the, in the higher echelons of the company. And he did a move that cost the company $10 million a loss. Of course, he expected to be fired. He felt horrible. And when the CEO called him in the next day to the office for a meeting, he understood, you know, this is a time to resign, and he pre- and he, he felt horrible. I mean, he made a very bad mistake. But he was a good man. He was loyal, and he was dedicated, but he made a mistake. He made a very bad mistake. 
And he walked in and he said, you know, I, all I could say is I'm sorry and I apologize and I understand, you know, I deserve to be dismissed and fired and whatever your conditions are, I accept because I know what I did. And the CEO says, why do you think I would fire you? He said, well, I did cost the company uh, $10 million in loss. He said, I should fire you? We just spent $10 million on your education. (laughs) You want me to fire you? I put $10 million into educating you. So now what am I supposed to do with that? Throw out the money? Obviously, he recognized that this was a person who was a blessing for the company. He made a mistake. But if he would have thrown them out, then what was he saying? The $10 million were a loss. Here, the $10 million constituted an education. Investment. It was an investment. A loss it was. But it was what we call mekalkel al-menas l'sakin. In, in Shabbos, Elche Shabbos, the halacha is that when are you biblically forbidden to do malachas that destroy only if you're doing it in order to build? If you just destroy for the sake of destruction, rabbinically you're not allowed to do it, but biblically you're potter. Potter avalosa. You don't have to be a carbon chattas. It's not a biblical prohibition of Shabbos. If I just destroy for the sake of destruction. No other, there's no purposeful action here. There's no productive purpose. You need a purposeful action on Shabbos. But if I'm Saisir Almanas Livinus, if I demolish in order to build, or Kireya Almanas Litfer, I tear in order to sow, or Meichik Almanas Lichtev, I erase in order to write, that turns the destruction into a constructive, purposeful action on Yechayev and Shabbos. You understand? So this is the two types of deshen. Shabbos we learn out from Malachas HaMishkan, the Lamatas Malachas and the Lamatas Malachas HaMishkan. Mother's <coughs> Malachas HaMishkan is the paradigm for which Malachas are Malachas of Shabbos. So the two types of ashes. So the ash that's an education, that has a very powerful and holy place. The deshen that's depressing... That just tells you dark and black and hopeless. And that's why the first ashes is every day. Every day you have to focus on those ashes. Every day when you dive in, you're going to figure out that there are ashes, there are flaws. Every day. Every day you say, Hashamnu Bagadnu. That's an avoid every day. The second types of ashes doesn't come along every day. At least we hope it doesn't come along every day. But when it comes along, once in a while it comes along. Once in a while it comes along this feeling, this sense of complete inadequacy and paralysis. And what do you have to do? Out of the camp. And it's interesting, the next passage is, And the fire has to continue burning and never be extinguished. What's the connection between the two? The connection between the two is this ash, these ashes, what they're going to do is they're going to extinguish your flame. The former types of ashes are not going to extinguish the flame. Former types of ashes will motivate you to, to build a bigger flame, to, to build a different type of flame. But these ashes, they want to extinguish the flame. So that's why. 
two types of dashan, two types of sotans, two types of negativity in a person. One is a motivator and one is a lethal killer. What? Extinguishes the loy, the loy, loy sechbe, the mazitra market, loy sechbe, medaf mechabazan the loy. Extinguishes the loy, the knot. The fire is always burning. The fire has to keep burning. The music got to go on. Okay. That's it. One of them will put out the fire. The second types of ashes you got. Accumulation. Okay. This is one Nakuda of the Maimer. One Nakuda of the Maimer of the Altareb and the Siddhan Trumas Adashim. Very important point in life. I think Rabbi Lau, Rabbi Yisrael Lau once shared that he was once on Yechidus by the Rebbe, and the Rebbe asked him about the Matzav in Eretz Yisrael. I think it was after the Yom Kippur War. And he said that Jews are saying, what's going to be? You know, Vosvetzayin, Mayiyah, we say in Yiddish, Vosvetzayin, what's going to be? So the Rebbe responded and said, by Jews we don't ask what's going to be, we ask what are we going to do? This is the difference between the two Deshans. What's going to be? What's going to be? It's a cry of despair. What are we going to do? That's a different question. What are we going to do about it? That's a question that identifies the same problem and the same crisis, but the response is not one of resignation or apathy, and the the two are connected to each other. Because resignation leads to apathy, apathy leads to resignation. But the question, the answer is not one of resignation, the response is one of what? Determination. Determination. Rejuvenation. Rejuvenation as in J-E-W. <laughs> now, I'm going to share another insight. The other insight is in the Chumash commentary of Rabbi Shimshin Rafal Hirsch. And he gives a... Uh, I would say a historical insight. Symbolic. Symbolic. And an interesting, a very nice, uh, interesting observation. He says, ashes, as we know, represent the past. Past. It's a beautiful title. It's a different title now. It's not, uh, I'm not going to elaborate on it. Avram Avinu said, Anoichi, Afar I am earth, and I'm also ashes. Afar Right? Interesting expression. That's what he tells Hashem. What did he mean by a nice offer of 
So what does Rashi say? Rashi says a very interesting thing. That I should have already been off of Eifer, he says. I should have already been off of Eifer. Why? I should have been off of Eidei HaMalachim and Eifer Eidei Nimrod. Nimrod threw him into fire, he was supposed to be ashes. The Malachim, the kings, fought him, he was supposed to be earth. Buried in the earth. Or earth. That's what I should have been. And yet you saved me, you guarded me, you preserved me, you helped me. That's Pshat Lechat initially. Based on the Rebbe's Pshat above, we have another interpretation. V'noichi offer the Eifer. The Eifer of Avram Avinu. Which represents a state of Bittl. And Bittl comes from the fact that a person recognizes his flaws and his inadequacies. And therefore is humble about it. So that allows the person to be uplifted. And this is what's brought. Veheidim es hadashen. It's brought in Chesidus. Veheidim es hadashen. When a person is in a state of hadashen, then veheidim. They get uplifted. The Gemara says in Saita, Kol hamash When somebody humbles himself, Hashem lifts him up. When he's arrogant, Hashem degrades him. Why is that? Because when a person is humble, so they're open. They're open to something beyond them. When somebody is arrogant, they're not open. They're closed off. We spoke about chametz and matzah. You remember the ches and the hay, that's the connection with Pesach. The ches, you fall, you can't get back in. The hay, you fall, you can get back in. But there's something else. Listen to this. Offer the afer. Offer has a very, very uh, unpromising present. But it has a promising future. Earth. What's earth? Step on it. Futile. Offer. Everybody steps on it. But it has a promising future. This earth, if you plow it and plant it, can produce... The most glorious and splendid of vegetation and produce and fruits and trees. Afer, ashes, has a very, very impoverished present, but it has a glorious past. Afar has a glorious future. Afer has a glorious past. Vanoichi, Afar, Afer is the eternal message of Ram says in the name of every Jew. The present may be impoverished, but Vanoichi offer the Afer. My past and my future are glorious. Every Jew comes from a past that is infinitely rich. Even if not for his or her virtue, their ancestors. So there's a lot, a lot of greatness in their past. Their Neshama, their psyche, their heritage. Their genes. There's a lot of greatness there. Yes, the fire may have uh, destroyed the surface, but and the future as well. The future as well. Person can remodel their future. So that's the Jewish. That's the Jewish existence in many ways. What's the expression? Ahavar ayin. 
Over ayin, ha'hoiva adayin, ha'hoiva kerafayin, taigem inayin. Right, the past is gone, the future is not here, the present is kerafayin. So what are you worried about? Most things people worry about in the future don't happen. But here the point is that sometimes in the present, there's this challenge, that challenge, but you have to remember, anoichi ofer and afer. And throughout history, Jews always knew that. They focused, they knew their past, and they knew their future. So ashes represent that there is a glorious past. So ashes represent. So here's Rabbi Hirsch's commentary and insight. When did they do Trumas Hadash? Remember, in the morning, before everything. The first thing that was done, even before dawn, the client went up, took a shovel of ashes, and put it near the Mizbeach. What was he saying? What he was saying is, today we are merely continuing what has been achieved yesterday. Ashes is what remains from yesterday's Avoidah. We begin where they left off. We're not creating a new reality. We're not creating a new path. We're not inventing a new faith. We are sitting on the shoulders of our ancestors. You take the shovel, you put it in the ashes, and you put it near the Mizbeach. This is the beginning of our Avoidah. Either ashes, but it's ashes that represent the past. And we continue what they began. That's one element. Now there's another element that's paradoxical. And what is that? Another element of the ashes, you put Because if you think that you can only, only work with the ashes, work with the past, that's also insufficient. What happened in the past happened in the past. You have to write a new chapter. You must be creative. You must create. You can't just perpetuate. It's a new day. And that's the story of life. On one hand, it's an ongoing story. We continue the story. On the other hand, every day is a new story. Every person has to write a new chapter. Every person has to contribute their unique energy. So ashes represents the past, but the past is not here. On one hand, what we do is we embrace those ashes. We embrace what's left of the past and we continue it. And we, do, we use that as a foundation and as a paradigm and as a guide for our future. On the other hand, if all day all you'll be doing is looking at those ashes and playing with them and digging and, and embracing them and putting them near them as bayach, that's not enough. You must... have his you must be rejuvenated you have to have a chiddush in your avoida it has to be new fresh creative personal relevant 
inspiring, emotional. You can't just repeat slogans of the past. You can't just say, that's how they did it, that's how we do it. You can't just say, they were inspired, I will continue that. It's ashes. You have to be able to find God within your heart, within your soul. You have to be able to make it relevant to you. You have to make it new. You have to make it original. You have to make it yours. is my God. We're together. The God of my father remains aloof. True, you begin with but then you have to make it this is my God. Herman Wook in his book was machavin to this idea of the shalah. This is my God. I don't know if he knew it, but Zekeli, uh, it's mine. Not a, there's a lekeyavi. There's a shalah right. So lekeyavi is what you accept through a munna, and Zekeli is what you make yours through your own search. Zekeli vanveyu anivuhud vukim beyachad. It remains bedraimimus. It remains exalted. It remains aloof. Some of the ashes of mechutz lamachana. No, in other words, it's, it's representative of two ideas. There's an element of the ashes that you embrace. There's an element of the ashes that. You dismiss. So it's the same, the same version that was taken off. And it's very important. The first thing is very important because what often happens is people say what's left of the past is only ashes. What are you going to do with ashes? Blow them away, throw them away. It's all ashes, gone with the wind. All that's left is ashes, Afer. We say, no, 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 no. Afer has within it a glorious past. Don't dismiss it. Say, yeah, but it's a different world. It's a different reality. Forget, reject. No. You have to look at those ashes. You have to embrace those ashes. You have to study those ashes. You have to internalize those ashes because they are the portal to a very, very powerful past. The Pasuk says, If you don't know most beautiful of women, where to go, what should you do? Follow the footsteps of the sheep and shepherd your goats at the dwelling spots of the shepherds. If you don't know where to go, but the ashes, the hatem is Lift up those ashes, and you'll get uplifted in the process. Chadash asim in atayra. Chadash asim in atayra says the chsam seifer. Chadash is the grain, right? The Zionism, but he said chadash. All new things are asim in atayra. So the chsam seifer became the Hungarian motto. Chadash asim in atayra. New is asim in atayra. So we have the concept of Noisen Tam Lebgam. The Rebbe wrote a beautiful Rishima in his private journals in the 1930s. He once explained that this concept of Noisen Tam Lebgam, which basically means that once the taste is absorbed in the pot for more than 24 hours, now its taste is blemished. And therefore, 
the taste that it will emit into another food that's cooked in that pot is considered a blemish taste, which has major halachic ramification, ramifications in the laws of kashrus. And he explains that what this represents spiritually is that something that becomes old in Kedusha is pogum. Because you need a freshness, you need a vibrancy, you need a sense of vitality and life. And if it's already an old taste, then it's nice and tam labgam. There's no freshness, there's no newness. If you're living with the old, with the past, so then there's nothing contemporary in your psyche. You have to be alive today. You have to be living with God today. You have to be living with Yiddishkeit today. Creation happens right now, as the Baal Shem Tov teaches. And then we have the famous Ksam Seifer, Chadosh Asam We cherish the old. We continue the old. We don't sever our present from our past. We don't say the past is ancient, it's old-fashioned, get it out of my life, everything is new. So on one hand, you say, eh, an old taste is pogum. On the other hand, chadosh we connect to the old, we cherish the old, and we continue the old. And these are the two components of Truma Sadesh and Anaitzah Sadesh. On one hand, we say, You have to be able to move on from the ashes. On the other hand, is the component, You have to be able to lift up and be uplifted by the ashes. Cherish it and place it right near the Mizbeach every day. And I think that this Torah has chilling relevance for our generation. For our generation. Because our generation was created by survivors. Our parents, our grandparents, some of our uncles and aunts, some of our communities were created by survivors who survived the death camps of the Germans, and on the day of liberation, all they saw were mounds of ashes. Mounds and mounds of ashes of the six million that were murdered and decimated during the dark years of the Second World War. In that dark and confusing hour, it would have been easy for them to say, that basically the old world is gone, what was, was, it's gone, and it's time to create a new world, a new perspective, a new reality, what happened, happened, the communities have been destroyed, the synagogues, the yeshivas, the bate medrashim, the books, the life, has been snuffed out. The old world is gone, and the new machana, the new camp, will be erected in a very different way. But the Torah comes and says, Every single day you also have to lift up those ashes. Those ashes that were created from the carbon oil that was burnt up by the fire, consumed by the fire. Those ashes that were created from the fires of the carbon oil. And those are the Jews who cherished and perished in the Holocaust. Because what's the difference between a carbon oil and every other carbon? All other carbonas, part of it was burnt up at the Mizbeach. But part of it was not consumed on the Mizbeach. The carbon oil, all of it went up in a fire to God. 
So I once heard from the Rebbe of Abreyin in 1991 that the Jews who perished in the Holocaust never came to Keva Yisrael. Many of them were never, most of them were never buried. They were a carbonoila. Not only their souls went up to God, everybody's soul goes up to God. Their bodies were also a carbon. There was nothing left of their bodies. The whole body and the whole soul, the whole, the whole, the whole Jew, the entire generation went up as a carbonoila. And what's left are ashes. Those ashes have to be embraced. Those ashes have to be lifted up. We have to retain our connection to each one of those Jews, to our past, in order to create a future. What does Avraham Avinu say? I am Afar and I am Afar, right? So what's the difference of Afar and Afar? Let's remember... Afar is the future, earth will grow. Afar is the past. In order to create Vanoichi Afar, to create the future, you need the Afar. You have to have your deep connection to your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. You have to respect the past and cherish the past and rebuild the past. If you want to become Afar that grows into a new world, if you want trees that will grow and create a new reality, where do we get our inspiration, our wisdom and information? We lift up and we cherish the past, the ashes. To breathe their lives, to continue their ideals, to cherish their values, and to recreate their lives in the lives of our children and our communities. Adbi as Goyal Tzedek, if we want to create a new rejuvenation of Jewish life, we need the Afer, the energy, the wisdom, the Torah, the mitzvahs, the values of our past. We could never disregard it. Chadash on the other hand, if one only lives in the past, if one only mourns the past, if one only grieves for the past, then we can't create the future. We need the afer, but we also need the afar. And therefore, there's an element of a We are told, choose life. Yes, there is shloi there's shiva lehespid. Chas v'shalom when somebody loses a loved one. There's shloish lebchid. There's shiva lehespid. There's the 12 months of Avelis. But then we say, We cherish the past in order to create a future. We remember the ashes in order to use them as a springboard in order to create new life, not to allow those who reduce the Jewish children into ashes to gain victory, but rather from the ashes to create new life, and therefore there's a certain component of we can't remain stuck in the Weltanschauung of ashes as victims saying, we're dead, we're dead, we're gone, we used to be alive and now we're ashes. You have to be able to maintain that balance, how to remove the ashes out of your life and focus on life on offer. And it's a very delicate balance. It's not an easy balance. Some people become focused on one extreme and others become focused on another extreme. And the balance is at the core of Yiddishkeit. 
On the one hand, never disregard the past. Remember it, cherish it, embrace it, because you have to know how to rebuild. Take the past and use it as a source of inspiration for your future. But on the other hand, don't get stuck in your past to the point that you're paralyzed and you don't see the unique opportunities of right now, of this moment, of living now, of creating a new future. expression of the mission is there's yayin yoshon bekankan chadosh there's old wine in a new fresh bottle not yayin yoshon bekankan yoshon not old wine in an old bottle you need to use new bottles but use the yayin yoshon on the other hand not yayin chadosh bekankan chadosh you want to have the old wine you want to have the old deshen you want to have the inspiration and the life, the memories and the vitality of the past. But you also have to be able to know how to say goodbye to the feeling that I'm stuck and I'm paralyzed and I'm only living in the past, which is noisen tam gam. Because right now we must recreate our futures says. What is a yid? A yid is offer, he's always ready to grow, he's always ready to become earth that produces a whole new generation of flowers and lilies and roses and trees and produce and vegetables and beautiful fruits. My parent mitzvahs, the Gemara says, fruits are mitzvahs. Va'efer. But we also remember where we come from. We remember that we are kenanos al gabayanok. There's a famous expression, our generation is like midget, a midget sitting on the shoulder of a giant. The midget on the shoulder of a giant can reach further and higher than the giant. But its ability, his ability to reach so high is because he's sitting on the shoulders of the giant. The fact that we're sitting on their shoulders, we're continuing their life, this combination on Noichi Ofor Ve'efer is the balance to create the bright Jewish food future that continues the entire past into the future. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful Yom Tov. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.